It's such an honour, Danny, um, to be a part of this amazing podcast you're doing here. And it's just really cool to be talking about this book. You know my work and you've given it a lot of thought and um, I don't normally get such good questions, to be honest. <laughs> Your podcast is the one that I listen to when I want to listen to an interviewer who has actually read the books she's asking questions about <laughs> and asks really interesting, insightful questions about it. And I think that's really special. Thank you for your wonderful questions. It was a good chat. Great chat. You're a good interviewer. So enjoy listening to the podcast. <laughs> That's brilliant what you do. Honestly, I'm so in awe and we need more word nerds like yourself, people that are passionate about books. Thank you for listening to the Words and Nerds podcast. Today, we have a very special episode with Andy Griffiths. Andy Griffiths is one of Australia's most popular children's authors. He and illustrator Terry Denton have collaborated on more than 33 best-selling books since their first title, Just Tricking, was published in 1997. In Australia, Andy and Terry's books have sold over 10 million copies, won 80 Children's Choice Awards and 10 Australian Book Industry Awards, including Book of the Year for the 52-Story Treehouse in 2015. Their much-loved Treehouse series has been embraced by children around the world and is now published in more than 35 countries. I'm your host, Danny V. Children's author Adrian Beck also joins as co-host. I hope you enjoy this episode. What an absolute pleasure to have you on the Words and Nerds podcast, Andy Griffiths. It's another big tick off my bucket list anyway, so thank you. That's a pleasure. Thanks for having me. And also on board, we have children's author Adrian Beck in the co-hosting chair. Welcome back. I wouldn't miss talking to Andy Griffiths on the, uh, on the eve of another amazing treehouse book. It's a 130-story treehouse, so that makes it the 10th book in the mm. series. Oh, yeah, that's yeah, 10 times 13. Yeah, I get that. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> that's nine more than I thought there would be. <laughs> <laughs> and so do you think you're going to make it get to the 13th? Are you planning on stopping at the 13th to make the numbers nice and even? It does seem a a sort of logical, uh, maybe prudent place to stop. Um, (laughs) There's nothing logical or prudent about the treehouse, so there's no reason why we might. But um, my biggest worry with the series has always been I didn't want to jump the shark. I didn't want to exhaust the audience's patience. Um, so my previous stopping point was around book seven. I mm. thought that seven is a respectable, well, you get three, maybe three, and then you most series have, have done by then. Yeah. And then I thought, oh, no, it still feels strong, still feel like we're, we're, Terry's continuing to come up with fantastical images. I keep getting new stories. So we, maybe we'll go to seven, you know, maybe. And then we came to seven, and I think I'm going to tell you because I might it at some <laughs> point. But um, I pitched it to everyone because it's a whole team. It's it's Terry, of course. Uh, it's my wife Jill, uh, who's editing and co-writing with me. Uh, it's the publisher uh, Claire up in Sydney. So there's a lot of people invested in it, and um, and I pitched it to them, and they all said, "That's brilliant! What a great end!" But I just feel really sad that it has to come to an end. And it's like, yeah, what am I doing? If if I end it, I've only got to think up a whole new thing. And this is kind of fun. I know the characters and and the tree renews itself continually each book. So, and each book is completely its own thing too. There's no constraints. 
But to get back to the, the start of my question, I realised that we jumped the shark right in the first book <laughs> and no one cared. So, <laughs> so I'm on this sort of suicidal um, mission to see how ridiculous I can get it. And book 10 with the tree, the entire tree going into space now, I thought that's, that's really pushing it. So <laughs> audience... Going to space, how cool is that? How cool is that? Well, Intergalactic. Yeah. Yeah, and what a great time to do it too, to get as far away from the earth as we could. Can uh, I come? <laughs> of course, everyone can come. Fantastic. Is yours. You probably need to do some vetting though, I don't know. <laughs> they don't have a very good time in outer space. They, they get drawn into an intergalactic death battle with 12 other deadly species from all over the globe. Um, this is run by giant flying eyeballs and... Um, it's not a not a good thing at all. <laughs> I don't know, 2020's been pretty rough, so I don't know, I might give it a crack yeah. anyway. Yeah, maybe we'd choose the eyeballs after all. <laughs> <laughs> there is a happy ending, but, you know, you suffer on the way. <laughs> How do you go about upping the ante all the time? I mean, you know, you're talking about going into space next. I mean, I know that you're going to have some more ideas, but where to from space? Um. Ah, well, we went really intergalactic on this one. It's like a big tent action movie. And it was, almost, it was quite complicated to do because there's a lot of complicated action sequences. And if you ask my wife, Jill, she'll tell you, you, can't, you don't do uh, descriptions of action very well. <laughs> so, yeah, a Just a bit of honest feedback there, Andy, right? Oh, totally. Yeah, she can give me honest feedback and that's part of the strength of the partnership and, and the books, I think. But I have Terry there to, um, to you know, describe it visually. So that's a, that's a great boon. Uh, but I did bite off almost more than I could chew this time. It was, uh, it was a tough book. And th thankfully, we had lockdown to help us sort out a lot of the problems. So um, that, was, that was lucky. But uh, intergalactic, we just said, let's just keep the next book right in the treehouse, like domestic. And, um, and I've had a camping level on my list for a long time. So let's go camping. And, uh, I see. You go big and then you bring it right back. Yeah, wherever, yeah whatever you've just done, kind of go somewhere else. So. Kind of reminds me, I don't know, I might be the only one that's reminded of this, but, you know, the Bond series went for so many years and then all of a sudden they went into space too. So <laughs> I don't know if, if Andy in the book's a bit like James Bond at all. I'm not sure. Oh, I think that it is. Uh, you, know, you know, I don't think Andy is James Bond by any means. <laughs> but, uh, although in the 52-storey treehouse, we do have a detective agency mm. and we fly around in a flying fried egg car and we wear detective clothes and eat donuts and, uh, and solve crimes. Um, not quite James Bond again, but you know what I mean. Better than James <laughs> Bond. Hey, Andy, you mentioned, uh, you mentioned lockdown and we, we're recording this via Zoom and we can see into your writing, uh, what would you call it, your writing den or your writing studio there behind you, which uh, looks cool. amazing. How have, you been, how have you been going with lockdown? Have you been uh, using it, putting it to good use or has it been driving you slightly, uh, slightly batty? No, it's been actually a bit of a gift um, in terms of writing and being able to stop uh, because the Treehouse series over the last 10 years has not only become really popular in Australia, but it's become popular in many other countries. 
uh, and I've been invited on many tours there over the last 10 years. Uh, England and the US being some of the main places, but also strongholds like uh, Holland and Norway, um, South Korea. Um, there's so many places that are very happy to host a visit and and I'm like a dog, you know, you throw a stick, <laughs> uh, I go running and I've really loved it and it's been this privilege to be able to travel the world, meeting kids in different countries, finding the, the shared funny bones um, of, of kids everywhere and and keeping my eyes wide open to the world and all the weird experiences you have when you're travelling has definitely helped fuel the treehouse, I think, because, you know, sometimes literally I'll see something. Um, uh, like in Holland, there was we went out for lunch and they had freak shakes, not milkshakes, freak shakes. <laughs> I said, what are they? And they said, oh, you know, you build them with all sorts of lollies and lollipops and chocolate and ridiculous con constructions. But... I kind of went, yeah, freak shake shack. We need we need one of those. So yeah. so that keeps me fed. But um, like I said, we, this last book was very complicated, and I realised last year I kind of overdid the touring. You've got to keep it because writing is an introverted, slow, quiet activity. And if you get too much extroverted you know, out in the world stuff, you don't you're not going deep enough to let those uh, as unconscious associations form and that's where the real richness is so you know it's ironic it, it, when you first start out you can't get anyone to take much interest you've got all the time in the world <laughs> and then as you do get a bit of interest you have to then balance that how much outside how much in and luckily I'm kind of a, a half half uh, I think it's called an ambivert mm -hmm. um, I'm very happy in my own company and I can be locked down all year quite happily. There's mm. a whole, there's worlds in the, the music collection behind me, my library, my head, you know, there's, what did Hamlet say? It can be, I could be uh, bounded in a nutshell and count myself king of infinite space. Oh, uh, I'm not that. comparing myself to Hamlet. But, um, <laughs> Hamlet uh, and Bond. So, you know, when I roll here. <laughs> I'm not saying that, but, <laughs> um, but so it's been really nice to kind of stop for the first time in many years and uh, and regroup and and get back to basics with the treehouse. Um, so I think this book I'm currently working on, next year's book, uh, really goes back to the beginning and goes, what was really going on there? It was simple and silly and as as the series has gone on it's become more and more digressive and more and more um bizarre in, mm. in good in a good way but i think when we were writing 130 it was digressing in every possible <laughs> way at every possible moment and it was you lose the drama and you lose the sense of character in that case so so, yeah, it's just taking us too far that way. 
Oh, it's funny you say that because when I said I was speaking to you, I had so many people comment about, you know, how their kids or they themselves had loved your book so much. And I was thinking, what is it about these books that resonate with kids? And I think so much of it's imagination. I sat down with my eight-year-old at dinner. I said, what is it? Why do you love these books? And he started, you know, rattling all these things off. He's like, well, you've got bowling alley and you've got the the see-through swimming pool you've got the sharks you've got the marshmallow machine that shoots marshmallows in your mouth when you're hungry and I just thought I think it just really fuels kids imaginations and really balances that whole you know got to be at school got to be serious and then we've had the whole lockdown which is affecting our kids even if we're trying not for it not to it is and so I think I mean is that what you think you think it resonates because it takes them into this amazing world of imagination yeah, uh, the English publisher has a little tagline for the books, which I really like. Uh, it says, no limits, no no adults. Sorry, no adults, no rules, and no limits. Uh, I really like that because that to me is what I'm trying for all the time. And when I was a kid in my school library, uh, which was, you know, we weren't locked down, obviously, but we're in a world of rules and structures and adult-driven kind of programs. And there were certain books in that library that were like a little doorway and they were escapes. It's like, how did this book get into this library? Because it's chaotic, it's wild, it's subversive. And they were the sort of books that I held close to me. Um, It started really with Alice's Adventures in Wonderland and um, Through the Looking Glass wonderfully imaginative, wonderfully funny, but subversive. You know, they're questioning authority and questioning words and playing with words. And I think that's the other thing, the playfulness mm. of, of the words, the playfulness of Terry's imagery. We're just, like, messing around with stuff. And that's what kids do all the time. It's how you learn uh, it's how you learn language. It's how you learn anything, really. It's when you start goofing around. What if I did this? Oh, no, that's, that's not a good effect. Or what if I did? Oh, that's cool. Um, kids famously are not afraid to experiment or get mm. things wrong, whereas the adults, you know, like my dad on computer, uh, <laughs> oh, if I touch this button, you go, no, it's not going to blow up. Just <laughs> press some buttons, see what happens. But... Obviously, as we get older, we have more idea of consequences, uh, which is good and bad. But the kids, no consequence. And, and our plots are sometimes deliberately constructed to be garbled by a child back to the adult. <laughs> and I think this is going to make no sense to that adult. And that's almost a guide to how to, how to extend it. If there's, if there's two or three paths to go down, take the one that sounds the stupidest <laughs> and then try to make that work dramatically. And then that's, that's why there's a continual challenge in this that I never get sick of because mm. it's not just stupid, it's logically stupid and hopefully emotionally it's taking you somewhere as well. And at any point you can go, what the... What, what are we talking about here? Giant <laughs> flying eyeballs and blobs and blob dromedar? What? Um, but if you, if you don't question it, it makes perfect sense, just like a dream. Yeah. That's, yeah, yeah. That's the freedom of a great book, I think. And Franz Kafka did it for me. 
um, you know, in mid-high school when I found Metamorphosis. Oh, Metamorphosis, isn't that a fantastic book? Yeah, you, I, I, I think a teacher I was telling someone about it, I said, what, this guy turns into a bug <laughs> and that's the story? You know, wow. Uh, so that was, they're the sort of things that blew my mind and, mm. and I want our readers to have that um, feeling. That's, that's always what I'm trying to do, evoke the feeling of wild freedom that I got when I was reading. Mm. As an author, do you, did you have to, um, to take a while to give yourself permission to write in such a way? Or from the word go, did you just say, look, I'm not too fussed about what the so-called gatekeepers think. I'm just going to write for those, those kids that want this wild and crazy, wacky sort of stories. Great question. Mm. Uh, it's, it's yes and no. Um, I always wrote like this when I was at school, when I was writing for my friends and drawing cartoons and making silly stories for friends and family. There was a freedom. And then when the teacher asked for a descriptive essay, I could, dis I could describe a beautiful scene of nature and get an A+. Mm. But it was very restrained. It wasn't really crazy. Um, and I eventually, I was in a band for many years because I was writing the lyrics. So it was a pretty funny wild band. <laughs> and that was the freedom was writing the lyrics, which were similarly crazy. Um, <laughs> and then I became an English teacher and all these kids in high school up in Mildura where I work said, we hate reading. It's boring. It's for nerds. Uh, <laughs> and I said, no, 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 you are so wrong. And look, what about the day my bum went psycho? Look, here's a picture of a guy's bum who runs away, um, which is kind of like metamorphosis. It's a, it's a bizarre premise, but then told really seriously. Yeah, absolutely. I've never thought I'd see the link between those two books. I'm just having a revelation now. <laughs> oh, well, someone did a study of intertextual links in the day my bum went psycho with other great works of literature. They found wow. maybe Dick. I'm going to have to get my hands on that. The great, uh, yeah, it's pretty funny. Uh, the Great White Bum is, of course, The Great White Whale, but that's, that's my lit literature degree coming to great use. I, can, <laughs> I think it is. Of anything. Um, and, in fact, this, the book, if I had to pick one from that entire five years I studied literature, it would be Tristram Shandy, The Life and Opinions of Tristram Shandy because that is one of the greatest shaggy dog stories where he's trying to tell you the story of his life but keeps getting digressive or keeps digressing into many funny, irrelevant avenues and finally gets to the end and he hasn't told you anything. <laughs> that was in 1700, you know. It's like it's precursor to Monty Python, Spike Milligan, everything. It was invented right at the beginning of the novel. And I think our novels are a lot like that. They play with the form of novels and storytelling very self-consciously. Um, you can have black pages and blank pages and, oh, sorry, reader. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, you mentioned um, the treehouse like a dream. And then when I was re doing some research about you, you, you credited Alice's Adventures in Wonderland by Lewis Carroll and Charlie and the Chocolate Factory by Roald Dahl as some of your favourite books. And they're, they're exactly like that, aren't they? They're this kind of surreal book that is like a dream. So that kind of really links into treehouse, doesn't it? Uh, yeah, and John Gardner, who wrote a really brilliant book on fiction writing called The Art of Fiction, 
said that's what he sees fiction as. It's like a beautiful dream. Well, it might not be beautiful, but it's like a dream. And when you screw up as a writer, you break into the dream somehow. If there's mm. spelling mistakes or bad grammar or character does something that's not right, you're, you're woken out of the dream. And if you get that too much, you're going to put that book down. So the writer's job is to make the dream continuous, believable, and you don't even know you've, you've gone there. You've just been sucked in from the first page and that's... That's what um, Charlie and the Chocolate Factory did. And, in fact, there is a link, a direct link there. I always like the way that book starts with, hi, I'm Charlie um, and this is my grandpa and this is my, my grandma and there's little pictures. And then, the, then it turns into proper text. But I always thought, why can't you just have this whole story go like that with the, the narrator just... Um, talking directly to you and pictures at every point. So um, that's, that was what developed with Terry. I met him very early and we, we started working together and we eventually got to that place. Um, Adrian, just to go back, I did have that freedom and when I wrote for kids, that freedom came out. But then when I decided, um, I've, I think this is really great and I'd, I'd like to really try and make a living from doing this, and I took leave without pay and did a fiction writing course. Then I tried to write properly. And <laughs> once again, I was trying to write literary short stories, mm. kind of like in the Raymond Carver type, type of tradition, mm. you know, angsty, serious. <laughs> and it never, it never felt right. It, it felt like I could do it. I, I could imitate a Carver story, but my heart wasn't in it. And... Mm. I, I spent two years just living off some savings, $10,000, very, very hand-to-mouth existence, but I just wanted to write every day for those two years. And the, there was 10% of the time my silly voice would break out and I'd <laughs> kind of go, oh, no, 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 not appropriate. <laughs> got to do this like everybody else. Mm. And then by the end of the, the two years I went, the only good stuff I've written all year is that 10% that's mm. been annoying me. <laughs> I, think, I think I might be a comedy writer. <laughs> you know, it was a revelation to me. I think I'm going to embrace the comedy and it'll probably mean I'll never be accepted as a proper writer. Mm. But what the hell, this is all I've got. This is all that's coming through. And I know certain people respond to it really well. I know the kids I taught liked it and I know some of my friends like it. I know it's not John Marsden or Paul Jennings or any of the proper writers. <laughs> so that, that idea that there is a proper way to do things, I think is every writer's battle. Hmm. That when your real voice comes through, it doesn't feel right. Hmm. And so to learn to trust that, um, is was was the best decision I could have made mm. but I did make it knowing I was probably cutting myself off as a from the imagined writing career mm. do you get a feeling now when that uh, if you ever veer off that track maybe you don't ever ever veer off that track anymore because you've you, you know you obviously you've done this so much but do you yeah. get a feeling now that oh this is this is me uh this is feeling good I, I, you know do you still get that rush when you have that perfect Andy Griffiths style idea or do sometimes you veer off in the other direction and you have to bring yourself back? Uh, 
Um, most of the time, if I'm on track and doing it right, I'm getting the rush. Mm. And it's a clear signal to me if I'm if I have veered off and I'm getting a bit serious or a bit caught up with dis describing the action in a very pedantic way. And it starts to feel not fun. And I'll take it to Jill and, and Jill will go, eh, hmm. I'm, I'm not really feeling this one. And I go, right, yeah, <laughs> it's something has gone wrong. Uh, so then I have to come back. I come back to this room. I put on really loud music. Um, uh, get back to that 10-year-old and give the 10-year-old the pen because you can override it. You mm. can conceptualise a story. And it's all, it looks like a story and it, it reads like a story, but there's, it hasn't got that spark. Mm. Um, so, yeah, if you're doing first draft right, it should feel like you're a 10-year-old kid just, oh, yeah, oh, yeah, oh, that's so funny. And, <laughs> um, and then then the real work starts when you try to make that funniness come across to a reader without any impediments. And so that's why every book gets a year's um, working over. It takes a year to write each treehouse book. Yeah. There's so much backwards and forwards uh, between the three of us um, until we're all happy. It's no use just me and Terry being happy with an absurd sequence <laughs> because Jill will say, eh, you're going on and on. And it's, I know it's funny, but I've lost <laughs> a sense of adventure and character. Yeah. Um, so it's balancing uh, though all those elements is is 30 years of experience now yeah. jill really keeps you honest doesn't she yeah and <laughs> i'm the only person she can edit uh, because she can never she's so nice she can yes. never tell other writers what she really really thinks <laughs> Where i'm like bring it on i just i need to know right now not when i'm in front of 2000 kids mm. that this thing i'm trying to read is not very good uh i want to know way back when so uh, I did study editing as well as um, fiction writing and I would recommend that to any aspiring writer. Um, editing, you learn how cheap words are and how mm -hmm. brutal you can be with them and move them around, cut them, and you, you become less precious. It's mm, a great point. Now, I do want to go back. I mean, obviously, this is an audio medium, but I want to go back to your room because you say you go back to your room and you put on the loud music and you get the 10-year-old. And I just want to take listeners through this glorious room that we're looking at. Just a quick description. We've got a mirror ball. We've got a terrifying clown behind you over your shoulder. You've got mannequins. You've got millions of CDs, things hanging from the ceiling. Like how Mr. Squiggle from, hanging Mr. from the ceiling. Mr. Squiggle hanging from the ceiling. <laughs> That was a good pickup, Adrian. Like, <laughs> of course, that room must inspire you. Is that part of why you've got all these amazing things in there? It, like I say, it evokes the feeling of being ten years old ish. Ten years old ish. <laughs> um, I can I can just vividly remember being that age um, and loving my horror sci-fi comics alongside Enid Blyton books. You know. Mm. Um, and that feeling of involvement and excitement as I was reading and I was always sensitive to music, so I was always taping things off the radio and making... <laughs> I remember doing that. <laughs> yeah, oh, I miss it. Um, uh, but 
those, yeah, those things always excited and inspired me. And it wasn't long before I had my own little exercise book and I was tearing things out of the newspaper and writing down things. So collecting has always been mm. in my blood. And I think, I think that's one of the things a writer does. You're, you're collecting ideas and collecting, um, um, yeah, ideas and stories, fragments. And when you get enough of them, they start to kind of join together in a certain direction. And if you're lucky enough to meet someone like Terry, um, we kind of supercharge each other. And I think I give him, I think I gave him permission to be more chaotic and anarchic mm. in his drawings. He'll, he'll tell you that. Um, because he was being very good and, and drawing very nice. It was beautiful watercolours. I, no I have no use for them. Uh, when I get with him, I go, oh, I draw a duck, you know, with a guy hanging out. And, uh, no, no, Terry, that's disgusting. Bring it back. Um, but we're having fun and trying to get away with stuff. And when we f he came on board to illustrate the Just series, where he was in the margins, just being chaotic. That's all I said. I said, don't draw what I'm talking about. That's boring. Just be free associative in the margins and the kids will have a whole playground when they get sick of the stories. Mm. Um, although kids delight in telling me, that I just read the pictures. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> well, the, um, ratio, the, the ratio with the pictures and the words, I mean, it's, it's, uh, this, uh, it's a true collaboration, really, because there's so many... Um, pictures for every word I, I reckon it would be um almost would it be 50 50 or what what do you think in terms of uh, uh space on the page andy uh it is roughly 50 50 i'd almost go 60 40 sometimes yeah and was that an intentional thing that you came into when you started the series yeah well the just the just books that i was describing were 80 percent text 20 percent mm. picture and sometimes I'd go and help him when he left it to the last moment. You know, I've got 50 pages to do. I'd just sit there in his, his drawing studio suggesting silly things <laughs> for him to draw. And they were hilarious. And I felt like I was back in school in the back row of the maths class, <laughs> screwing up. And it was so hilarious. And I said, we should do this. We should write a book like this and like meet every week or every couple of weeks, as it turned out in an office I had outside of the house at that stage. And we'd just spend the day drawing and writing things that made us laugh. And that resulted in the bad book, where it was just bad people doing bad things and bad poetry and bad drawings. Gave us complete freedom to just experiment. And it was like sketch comedy. And a lot of those pieces were violent and gratuitous, rude, really rude and unredeemable. And they, they shouldn't be read by anyone, but uh, that was in 2004. And then we, we got into a lot of trouble for that book. And then we pulled it back and we did a really nice version, an early reader based on one of the dumb rhymes in the book. Because I just went, um, there was a piece called Ed and Ted. Uh, there was a man called Ed who's, and he had a friend called Ted and they lived in a shed and they had a dog, Fred, and Fred bit Ed on the head and blood came out and it was red and he left the shed and he got in his car, which was red, and fled and then smashed into a light post and he got dead and uh, that was the end. 
And I was like, oh, that's really fun because this, the meaning comes from just finding the Ed rhymes. You could write that as a very gentle learn to read. So we did The Cat on the Mat is Flat. Mm. So, and then we, we went back in for another serve of the very bad book, uh, which people <laughs> forgot to be outraged by that stage. They were used to us. They're like, oh, yeah, kids can read this stuff and not go out of control. Mm. But so by veering badly, and then we went through a few other experimental books. Uh, what Bumasaur is that? What body part is that? Um, and then we hit the treehouse where we brought it all together. So mm. there's like sketch comedy mixed with a, a, a full length narrative with pictures doing the description rather than words. And we didn't know it at the time. We just thought, oh, this is a really interesting book. Mm. Uh, it's really original. They'll probably do the same as the other books, which was, you know, they had, a, they had an enthusiastic audience, but they weren't out of control mm. because the content was so strong in some of them. Mm. <laughs> not, not everyone <laughs> wants to read about people getting killed and maimed and um, eating poo and whatever else. I can't imagine why. Yeah, weird. <laughs> Neither could we. But when we hit the treehouse, we went, ah, oh, you don't have to pour all the horribleness into a book. If you get a little <laughs> bit restrained and you give people some sweet characters and a, and a magical treehouse, you have a safe place in your book where, uh, and that's what the treehouse is. It's a safe place that the bad books never had. Mm. And I don't think the just books had a safe place either. It was anarchy and chaos and fear and, and thrills, but nowhere to, to hide. And mm. so the treehouse was that and the friendship between Andy, Terry and Jill, even though Terry can whack Andy with a banana and knock him <laughs> unconscious, uh, they will, they're always out for each, looking out for each other. Mm. So I think that's another crucial thing that the treehouse got right. Mm. Did, you, did you know you were onto something when you came up with the idea or was it kind of a little bit of trial and error? It was trial and error. And like I said, we'd done about six or seven experimental type books. Mm. Bad, very bad, Cat on the Map, The Big Fat Cow That Went Kapow, Barmasaur. And these books, they weren't out of control bestsellers. Um, mm. Uh, and I couldn't understand why with the bad book because that was all the <laughs> stuff that works live. When we're live, you can go to all those places and you'll get the audience yeah. roaring with laughter when you go into those taboo areas. But written down, it was a little strong for the gatekeepers and it was just giving them too many free kicks, mm. too many reasons not to put the book in the library because of you can point to it, you know. Yeah. Um, so Treehouse is subversive in a more subtle way. There's no, there's no fence around that shark tank. <laughs> People fall in and they get eaten. But it feels okay because, well, you know, you should have been careful. Well, that's right. If you go into a shark space, I don't know what you expect, right? And also the people that get eaten uh, usually deserve it. And that's another... <laughs> That's another thing the bad books taught us, that if you cause pain to some, even a fictional character, the reader's going to be upset in a certain, on a certain level unless that character deserves it. Mm. And so that's, I think, really why the bad books 
um, were disturbing. Mm-hmm. Whereas Captain Woodenhead, after being really horrible to everyone, when he falls into the shark tank, we cheer. <laughs> That's right. Eat him up. <laughs> yeah, so there's a certain moral, uh, you've got to get the balances right. Mm-hmm. And, and I think by that stage, we'd calmed down enough <laughs> to be able to, to, to do that. Mm-hmm. Notice I didn't say matured enough. Yeah, I'm, um, I'm, I'm grateful for that. Calmed <laughs> yeah. down. Hey, now, Danny mentioned the amazing studio that we're seeing on this, on this Zoom call. Now, there's a skeleton over your shoulder there, Andy. Is he wearing a particular suit that uh, I might have picked up on here? He's wearing a Nick Cave suit, yes, that I've picked <laughs> That's up in right. the... Uh, uh, where is he? Yeah, there he is. I remember that from the auction, right? So that was yeah. the Authors for Fireys auction, yeah. is that right, Andy? Authors for Fireys, Nick Cave was, was auctioning a sick bag um, book, the sick bag song, and he said, and I'll throw in a, in a suit. And I just <laughs> found that so funny and so tempting. Um, I put in a rather ridiculous bid. Um, <laughs> but, I like I mean, what you've done with the suit, though. I like what you've done with it. Yeah, well, I had this skeleton hanging around and it had nothing to wear. And so, you know, I go back a long way as a Nick Cave fan. I was Mm. listening to the birthday party in 1980 um, and at some pretty astonishing birthday party concerts. Um, And they were were truly life-changing. They were so exciting, so primal. The energy was like on a good night, the birthday party opened the gates to hell. (laughs) on a good night (laughs) (laughs) and it was thrilling and frightening and exhilarating um and then to see nick cave uh 30 40 years later uh having you know challenged himself artistically and and maintained a certain um well total relevance uh by being true to his own Mm. um inner star uh, has been incredibly inspiring. And so people like that is if, of who I've taken as a role model of longevity in, mm. in um, art. Mm. Michael Lunig is another one. He used to fascinate me that he'd been going for so long mm. and yet was still so vital and just communicating in, the, in his way, not, not in a way that ignores the audience, but in a way that says, look, this is where I'm going. Mm. If you want to come, great. If you can't come there, see you later. But I'm not going to try to bring everyone with me. Mm. And so I guess I've always had that spirit. that It's the writer's job to lead and not be too worried about the people who are saying, oh, I don't like that as much as your other book mm. or whatever. You've, you've got to stay vital uh, as, a, as a creator. So that's what the suit. Uh, I love that philosophy. And um, I have to ask you just one question about it. Now, did you actually get tempted to put it on yourself, Andy? <laughs> you need to ask that. <laughs> How many selfies did you take? <laughs> None that you're going to see. Oh, okay. <laughs> actually, I'm, I'm happy to say it's quite a good fit. Uh, <laughs> the legs are maybe just a little long, but the waist is really good. <laughs> Did you listen to some Nick Cave or you had it on? Uh, he's always on. Oh, that'd be fantastic. <laughs> <laughs>
That is amazing. That's great. It really is. And I guess it leads really well to the question I always ask uh, writers when they come on, Andy, why do you write? Um, Well, to capture (laughs) that feeling uh, and to convey that feeling to um, the the kids and and the adults too. They're they're part of my target, Um, not the primary target, but... Um, yeah, when I'm writing, I'm, I'm free in that, in that sense that we've been talking about. And I, I notice it has the same effect on, on the kids. It unlocks them, their enthusiasm, their curiosity. Uh, in the case of the treehouse, it unlocks their creativity, withdrawing uh, you know, pictures of the treehouse, writing their own fan fiction, um, and they can do a really good imitation of me. I, I love, <laughs> love it. <laughs> They're not better than me. Um, but I always encourage them, don't, don't write about me and Terry so much. Write about you and your friends mm. and, and then draw on your world and that's where the real juice is. So, mm. um, uh, yeah, I mean, it's, it's a very, it's, it's that kind of win-win thing that it mm. makes me feel good um, and... Uh, continually challenged and and it has such a a great effect on the on the kids Mm, beautiful answer and i really look forward to 130 story treehouse and maybe going into you know four digits maybe we'll end up with a thousand story treehouse one day (laughs) well no now you're (laughs) you're mathematical ability yeah i yeah you're right you're right if it takes a year to write one treehouse, <laughs> yeah, that's true. At 113, <laughs> it would take probably is it a th- at least 500 years or yeah. no. my you're, talking to the, you're talking to the wrong people here. <laughs> my Andy. maths is bad. Human lifetime to get <laughs> 40 years, unless the kids take over. Oh, and their kids take over. I like yes. that. And that's a good idea. That's a great yeah, idea. That's Pass it on. Fate of the human race mm. to continue writing treehouse books. I love that. Until the sun um, expands and burns up the planet. That, that can be the last story. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and then we'll just do some prequels and we'll go into the negative numbers. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, I did some prequels in 26, and I think I exhausted them all. <laughs> <laughs> well, Andy, that has been just such a fantastic chat. I can't believe we have just traversed so many things. We've talked about writing. We've gone through to Nick Cave. We've, you know, gone to the classics. It's been such an amazing chat, and I just want to thank you for it, and thank you for the work you do, you know, as an advocate for literacy. I myself am in education, so I know how important that is. So thank you so much. And I know when I was telling listeners and friends that I was interviewing you, they've never been so excited. Like they were, you were the guest that they were most excited about. And we're up to episode, you know, way into the 200s. So it was wow. you. They were all going, whoa. <laughs> well, that's, that's really nice to know. Thank you. So thank you so I, much for your time. I hope they're not too disappointed when they get 130. <laughs> they <laughs> no, they'll be. love it. They'll they be going into space. It'll be it's awesome. Fantastic. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, thank you so much. And again, thank you, uh, Adrian, for being on board. And thank yeah. you, Angie. It's been lovely. Thank you. Great, great interview. Yeah, great conversation. That's why it was a great interview. Thank you. <laughs> Thanks, Andy. It was awesome. Thank you. See you soon.